Sports Radio 104.3 The Fan. Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting, fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, here's Terry. Actually, you're listening to Austin Parr with Discount Fishing Tackle, filling in for Terry while he's on assignment this week up in Minnesota, hopefully catching a bunch of fish right now. We have a great show lined up for everyone today. We're going to give you a great rundown of fall fishing opportunities across this state, talk about some hunting opportunities with Brad Peterson. We'll also have Nate Zielinski talking about other fall fishing opportunities, uh, J.R. Pierce with Colorado Clays, and a couple of great parks and wildlife segments today as well, talking about sage grouse, as well as going down and discussing Navajo State Park, which is a fantastic place to, to visit this time of year, but Uh, In the meantime, we're going to give you a a quick rundown of various fishing opportunities in the state. So my name's Austin Parr once again. I run Discount Fishing Tackle, which is six blocks south of Evans on the west side of Santa Fe. And fishing is definitely my life, and and I get reports all across the state, and it's always my passion to be able to turn around and and help everyone to, to catch more fish. But this time of year... Even myself, I get guilty of sometimes thinking about hunting a little bit too much. However, the fishing opportunities are absolutely endless almost. This, uh, you know, when we're, we're dealing with finally starting to see some, some cold temperatures. So on the front range, I guide on several lakes, including Chatfield and Cherry Creek Reservoirs, and, and we're going to start right there. So Chatfield, as we've talked about, uh, if you've heard me on the show uh, before, this year's been a little bit different. So we're dealing with a lot less bait fish in that particular lake. So in the in the early springtime when the, the shad were spawning out there, the water temperatures fell fairly significantly during that spawn, and they were largely unsuccessful. So we're dealing with a very small percentage of bait fish uh, in comparison to what you would normally be used to. So what that means is that instead of these fish going out and chasing these bait fish over the main basins, you're finding them still in a lot of the same places you would in the middle of the summertime. So whether that be on the roadbeds or even down south in the no-wake zone, all of those areas have been incredibly productive. So if you're if you're targeting walleyes, I'm finding that the majority of the fish are sitting in under 15 feet of water right now, sometimes even as shallow as 6 or 7 feet, depending upon the specific structure point. But they're sitting on very, very tight structure points. So they're not spread out very far, and it's much better to go and instead of trying to pull across something like with a lindy rig or trolling like some people are used to this time of year, uh, you're much better off to actually park in one position and specifically cast on a very special spot. So you're not going around and... And fan casting, you're you're specifically targeting one location. And I'm utilizing, uh, if you can believe it or not, uh, even live bait opportunities are still working out there. So either fishing a jig and a minnow or a jig and a crawler, uh, using that on a stand-up jig head and just barely creeping that along the bottom where you're marking fish first. And then that also I am uh, using a jigging wrap in conjunction with those. So jigging wraps are enticing more of your reactionary strikes. And although there aren't bait fish populations in that lake like you would normally see with the gizzard shad, uh, there are still a lot of perch and, and baby bluegills and even crappies at times in there. And when that's happening, you're finding that, that getting them to react to more of a, a perch base or a crappie type color on that jigging wrap is is also being very productive. Blade baits uh, aren't being quite as productive as some of your jigging wraps are out there, but a blade bait's a little bit different. It has more vibration to it and is more closely re- resembling a shad. So instead of fishing the, the silver patterns, the ones that I am having a little bit of success on have been more of the gold blade baits, like a Johnson Thin Fisher blade bait and a quarter ounce 
or in the same blade bait in a perch color. Both have been been very productive out there, but the key that I always find is downsizing those a bit can be also very effective. But we're going to get into a little bit more of the specifics of blade bait fishing a little bit later on in the show. Shifting over toward Cherry Creek, Cherry Creek is more of a, a, a normal year, I guess you could say, out there. And finally, with especially seeing some of this snow that we may actually be having next week coming in on Thursday, uh, that is really going to trigger the the good fall bite out there. So this was the le- the week last year that I had all the big fish that, that we caught guiding out there. I had one week in particular where we had six fish that were pushing 30 inches in one week. And it was the weather patterns were a little bit different, but I think this next week could wind up being that week. So that cold front that's going to come through, particularly fishing before it, if you can get out there in the middle of the week, is going to be the days that you're going to want to be out there. So Tuesday and Wednesday. But that lake, uh, we're seeing a lot more bait fish um, that are all around out there. And and they've been, uh, there was a very healthy uh, bait fish spawn. And the shad, there's multiple different year classes and the fish in the early mornings. You're wanting to fish up shallower, whereas later in the day, you want to slide out a little bit and maybe troll to some of those fish. So in the early mornings, I'm looking for areas that the fish are going to be pushing those bait fish up against. So areas such as, uh, you know, the western side and the northeastern side where you have some big humps up there, particularly if the wind has been blowing in some of those particular areas. I'll start off early and I'll fish a jigging wrap. And I love blade baits out there as well, just like at Chatfield. But because of the bait fish that you're seeing out there, uh, the live bait pattern it's not what you're going to want to be doing. So you have to be trying to get these fish to react to something. In that early morning, not only is it a great time to be out there in a boat, but because they're so shallow, that particular area is great to fish from the shoreline. Even in areas like the dam. The dam at that lake, unlike a lot of other dams in the state, does not have rock that extends deep into the water. So you can fish a technique like a blade bait or a jigging wrap with you know actually really good success. But my color selections out there, I'm going more shad-oriented. So I'm going whites, maybe a bit of a chartreuse tied in on some of that white, um, but also some of the chrome silvers on the blade baits have been productive. Um, and then occasionally the, the, the hot perch type colors also will work well. But working early up in that shallow water, and then later on in the day, I'm moving out over the deeper water and I'm trolling. So if you're a shore angler, later in the day may be a time to, to pack up and, and head home just because those fish are going to peel off um, and just hit it in the early morning or evening. But if you're in the boat, shift off and pull some crankbaits up higher in the water column. And every day has been a little bit different out there. Some days have been really high up and in, in, in near the surface of the water. And other days have been a bit further down. So still the, the consistent baits out there are a Berkeley flicker shad. And if I'm fishing high in the water column with planer boards, I'll use more of the shallow style flicker shad rather than the deep diving flicker shad. But the Salmo hornets are still always one of my favorites out there. And the Salmo hornets down into the size fours. So smaller size crankbaits, the, that four means it's a four centimeter bait. And all baits are are really gauge in that same way. So like Rappel baits and even Berkeley baits, when you're seeing a size four or size five, that's the amount of centimeters that your bait is. But the size fours are quite productive. And then I'm pulling that out over that deep water. So I'll change my speeds up. Sometimes I'm going to be going faster. Sometimes I'm going to be going slower, but typically I'm going to be within that 1.7 to 2.0 mile per hour range. And a lot of times it's going to be right out over the main basin. So that is going to be really productive. But past Chatfield and Cherry Creek, I'm heading a little bit further east. I want to remind everyone that unfortunately due to the blue-green algae, uh, Quincy has been uh, closed for the majority of the late summer here. So that does not look like that's going to be really 
open in the foreseeable future. So unfortunately, it's going to be next year before we're going to see that opening. Uh, Aurora Reservoir, however, has been fishing really well. But due to the fact that Quincy had all that blue-green algae issues, Quincy is the inlet for Aurora for the most part. And Aurora, the water level has been really, really low out there. And unless you have a, a small hand launch kayak or small hand launch boat, uh, a large boat is not going to really be able to be launched very easily out there right now. So that's certainly something to consider. So maybe head somewhere else if you want to go and, and, and put the big boat in. But that lake still is fishing well, jigging wraps, particularly perch colors, and then jerk baits, also perch colors in the early morning are really productive. But keep in mind that lake is not a shad-based lake, so the perch is going to be the much better way to go. Small ponds right now are also fishing well. So if you're around the metro area and you're wanting to hit some of the local stuff on the, the pond action, um, that's certainly something to, to consider. The largemouth have been good. But then this time of year, the, the trout action up in the mountains is really, really going to be a great place to catch a ton of fish. So Lake John has been really productive, as has Delaney Buttes. I actually got a text message from one of my friends up there right now, and he's been catching a lot of fish up there at Lake John on gulp minnows and gulp leeches, actually. But the fly fishing opportunities have been productive up there as well. And then as you shift down into South Park, I'm sure we'll get into a little bit more depth as we talk to Nate Zelensky later on in the day. But um, 11 Mile and Spinney have both been fishing quite productively down there, and that's certainly something to hit. And then a little bit closer to home, if you're looking to take a kid out, um, Evergreen Lake and Georgetown Lake both have been incredibly productive and are a great spot to take a kid. Heading down a bit south, uh, Lake Pueblo is sitting about the same kind of characteristics that you'd be finding at Cherry Creek, where you have a lot of bait fish in the lake, but the fishing has started to turn over. And as we see some of these heavy cold snaps coming up right here, uh, we're really going to have some good time to be able to go and, and catch some fish over the next few weeks. So out there, the fish will peel off into a little bit deeper structure as we start to get some of these heavy cold snaps. So rather than casting so much out there, I like to change my technique to, to vertical jigging a lot of times, especially due to the fact that you have so much shale rock that's very snaggy on a cast. But I'll get directly over some of these fish, and I'll vertical jig to them. But shore anglers also can have great opportunities right now catching walleyes up shallow in the early morning, as we mentioned at Cherry Creek. Um, but the bait, the the large, or excuse me, the smallmouth bass are also being quite productive out there. And the smallmouth bass, just like Chatfield, they're a great secondary species, and in some people's cases, the first species that they want to target. But there's a huge population in both lakes, and sankos, tube jigs, and ned rigs are all really, really productive. And certainly, this sounds like a lot going through all of this. But once again, uh, my name's Austin Parr, and I own Discount Fishing Tackle on South Santa Fe Drive. Uh, we're six blocks south of Evans on the west side of Santa Fe, and I am absolutely happy to talk with anybody in any greater detail about any of this. So we have a fantastic selection of tackle down there in all different forms. We're going to talk fly fishing later on in the day, and I have as much fly tackle down there as anyone in this entire state. But we really do focus on the walleye tackle as well as the bass tackle down there. So if you're looking for those hard-to-find colors of crankbaits like a Salma Hornet, a Flicker Shad, or a Shad Wrap, or shifting into some of your jigging wraps, or whether it be uh, live bait applications or jig heads, I have all of your different options down there. And then talking about live bait, I also stock a wide variety of live bait down there. So this time of year, I have fathead minnows, we have shiner minnows in two different sizes, we have night crawlers, and we have mealworms. But as we shift into the wintertime, we'll consistently have a great stock of minnows for hopefully a solid metro ice fishing season, as well as mealworms and waxworms throughout the entire mountain ice fishing season 
season as well, including all the jigs and, and everything to go with it. But we also have a fantastic selection of waders, reels, rods, up through high end on all of those options. And then fly tying, if you're looking to get into some, some great fly tying, whether you're a beginner or an advanced tire, we have all of that for you. But we are, from this point, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk with Rob Carter, who is the marina manager at Navajo State Park. Once again, you're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on Sports Radio 104.3 The Fan. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, presented in part by Sun Enterprises, Colorado's largest ATV and motorcycle dealer. Actually, you're listening to Austin Parr with Discount Fishing Tackle, filling in for Terry Wickstrom. Now, pay attention closely. At the end of this segment, we're going to have a great giveaway for everyone. I'll let everyone know what that uh, what that is here at the end of the segment. But first, we're going to go to the phones and talk with Rob Carter, who is uh, the marina manager at Navajo State Park. How are you doing today, Rob? Hello, I'm having a hard time hearing you. Can you can you hear me a little bit better now? Yes, sir, sure okay, can. Okay, excellent. Well, Rob, once again, is the marina manager at Navajo State Park, and Navajo's a fantastic place to be in this fall, and I'm sure right now down there uh, it's a beautiful morning. Yes, it is. It's a little brisk this morning, but it's going to be up in probably the mid-70s today. It doesn't look like any wind. It's going to be a beautiful day. Sounds fantastic. So it's quite a ways away from Denver, but for folks who don't know, uh, why don't you kind of give a little rundown on, on a few of the things that Navajo State Park has to offer? Well, we have uh, this time of year we have camping. Uh, we have full hookup campsites. And we have primitive campsites and everything in between. There's a total of 218 campsites at the park here. We also have uh, cabins available. The cabins are very nice. They'll have a full kitchen, queen-size bed, two bunk beds, and then a, a fold-out, so they actually can sleep up to, to six people. Uh, we do have our boat ramp, which is open for our fishing here at the lake, and fishing this fall is, is very good. It's a great time of year because there's not many people out here park is also open for waterfowl hunting and and big game hunting as well too those seasons are both just right around the corner absolutely so as far as the the big game hunting down there you know there's fantastic opportunities in southwest colorado but you you mentioned there's still a few cabins that are available potentially for some hunters that may come down here even for first rifle season correct absolutely and uh, as i say they make a great place to stage out of uh, the cabins for the winter rates are, are at $90, and they can be reserved several different ways. A person can call the toll-free number, which is 800-244-5613, or they can go to reserveamerica.com and reserve them, or even off the Colorado Parks and Wildlife website and click on Navajo State Park and reserve the cabins there. Great way to go about it right there. That's something that's fairly new to Parks and Wildlife, and being able to reserve some of these campsites is so much easier than calling in and waiting on hold or going down there and and wondering about if there are some open. But even if there are a lot that are closed, you you did mention how there are a few campgrounds that are first-come, first-served down there even, correct? Absolutely. We do have still have some walk-in sites, so if, if a person did not make a reservation again this time of year, it's pretty easy to get a campsite. Excellent. So um, as far as someone maybe bringing an RV down there for hunting season, uh, do you have electricity on some of those uh, campsites down there? Yes, sir, we do. Uh, we, our Rosa campsite is full service, so it has both electricity, water, and sewer hookups. 
and Caracas campsites have both electricity hookups as well, too, and, and water. Excellent. So shifting away from the hunting a little bit, Navajo really is known for its fantastic fishing opportunities, and it is a little bit uh, unique in comparison to some of the other mountain lakes in the state. Uh, why don't you give us a little rundown of some of the fish species that you have down there? Oh, boy, we've got so many fish here. We've got, first of all, northern pike and very large northern pike. We have smallmouth bass, largemouth bass, rainbow trout, brown trout. Uh, we've got crappie. We have bluegill, catfish, kokanee salmon. Uh, right now, this time of year, I think people are really focusing on the pike and the smallmouth bass. Absolutely. I mean, even as we speak right now, uh, you guys have a Denver Bassmasters tournament going on down there. That shows the, the quality of that fishery that all those guys from Denver are willing to drive all the way down to southwest Colorado to be able to target some of those uh, warm water fish species. Yes, sir, it is. And, and it's a great lake that you can get away from people to. It's, you know, 32 miles long, has a lot of nooks and crannies and, and canyons that people people can get back into. This time of year, there's very few people around. And even in the summertime, middle of 4th of July weekend, you can usually get away from any of the crowds. A fantastic opportunity. And any more in this state, although we have great fishing opportunities close to home, driving a bit further definitely is the, the best way to, to get away from people. But if somebody wants to bring a boat down there, you know, everyone's always talking about the ANS and, and boat ramps closing early, but it sounds like you guys are going to keep your boat ramp open a lot uh, lot longer this season. Yes, sir, we do. We keep keep the boat ramp and the ANS inspection station open through November. Uh, we will close the boat ramp uh, December 1st. However, if someone were to call us, give us 24 hours advance notice so that we can perform the ANS inspection, they can access the, the lake year-round. So uh, coming all the way down there, that lake, you're not getting a lot of ice down there, are you, during the, the wintertime? We really don't. Some of the shallow bays may get just a little thin skim, but the five years that I've been here, I've not seen the boat ramp where it's really not accessible throughout the, the winter. So if you get a nice nice day or a nice set of days, you know, there you have a whole other opportunity to come down somewhere and boat in the middle of the wintertime other than just Pueblo uh, State Park. So that's a, a great yeah, absolutely. opportunity. Yeah, and then with the water being all the way open down there, you might get a few migrations coming in for some, some ducks and geese. Uh, so that's maybe another opportunity for folks to take advantage of as well. Yes, sir. There's a lot of waterfowl that comes through here. Absolutely. So uh, before we end here, I just do want to, I've been hearing that, that the Kokanee, uh, a lot of guys are catching some fish down there. Has the population been pretty strong as of late? It has been. I've, I've heard quite a few. Most of the kokanee fishing is a little further towards the south. end. few down at this end, but the reports I've had is, is that it has been good and it should be picking up here, too. Absolutely. Well, Rob, we certainly appreciate you coming on. If anyone wants to learn any more information about Navajo, where can they go? Uh, they can go to CPW's website and click on Navajo State Park, or they're definitely welcome to give us a call here. Our phone number at the Visitor Center is 970 883 2208. Rob, thank you so much for coming on. Hopefully some folks will come down and pay you a visit this fall. You betcha. Thanks for having us. You have a great weekend. You as well. Okay, so that was Rob Carter with CPW and down at Navajo State Park, but we're going to shift off here and we're going to do a little giveaway right now. So I have three, four packs of tickets to the Rocky Mountain Snowmobile Expo going on at the National Western Complex October 12th and 13th. So if you want to head down there, Go ahead and text EXPO to 303-713-1043, and the first 
three people to text on that will be able to get a four pack of tickets to the expo. Once again, text expo to 303-713-1043 for your chance to win three four packs of tickets to the Rocky Mountain Snowmobile Expo. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on Sports Radio 104.3 The Fan. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, presented in part by Sun Enterprises, Colorado's largest ATV and motorcycle dealer. You're listening to Austin Parr, hosting Terry Wickstrom Outdoors this week. And right now, we're going to head right to the phones, and we're going to talk with Brett Walker, who is a wildlife researcher with Colorado Parks and Wildlife. Brett, how are you doing this morning? Oh, good. How are you doing this morning, Austin? Doing excellent. So this is a really interesting topic we're going to talk about right now. And and rather than going to a destination, we're going to talk about a specific animal species in the sage grouse. Uh, Why don't you talk about some of the new things that you guys are doing to monitor some of these populations of these really iconic western birds? Yeah, um, we've been working in a population in western Colorado called the parachute peons roan. It's an isolated peripheral population uh, in the species range. Uh, there's some concern about it. So what well, our interest has been to ensure that we're getting uh, accurate and precise estimates of uh, population size and trend and looking at and coming up with research to figure out uh, how well our standard let count monitoring uh, tracks uh, other, other uh, methods. Sure. So for folks that don't know, the sage grouse is is an upland game bird species, and it's really affected by uh, population decline with with oil and gas development and and overall sagebrush de- you know degradation. Um, and and they're very hard to estimate uh, population, aren't they? Yeah, the the males uh, congregate on le- what we call leks in the spring. These are uh, basically breeding grounds where uh, males come in and, and dance for females. But the females are very cryptic uh, year-round. Um, as any you know, upland game hunter knows, the birds can often be very hard to find, and sometimes they'll flush right in front of you before you even see them. So uh, estimating population size uh, using just visual count surveys can be very difficult. Yeah, and they camouflage absolutely amazingly well. And as you mentioned, as someone who's actually hunted these game bird species, that that they're impossible to see really at, at much range at all. I mean, they'll they'll drop right in and and be and they'll they'll disappear completely. So, how does somebody who's researching these populations actually go about finding them and and monitoring their population? Yeah, most, uh, uh, well, actually all agent, uh, state agencies uh, in the western U.S. and Canada, they monitor sage-grouse populations by counting males that congregate and lex in the spring. But the problem is we don't know exactly how, uh, what proportion of the male population actually attends lex and is counted. Males can often move between lex, um, or they may not show up on a lex on a given day that it's counted. Um, so we, don't, we have a lot of uh, concern about uh, how accurate are let counts in estimating population size and estimating population trend over time. So we wanted to do some research to test some other more rigorous methods that, that account for our inability to detect all of the birds, especially for females. We've, there's really uh, been very few estimates of, of uh, population size for females for sage grouse. It almost all focuses on males. Well, and 
And if you can't find the females, you know, you might not know how the overall population is going. So what what you were telling me before is that you're actually utilizing genetics to be able to find some of this. Explain some of that to some of our listeners. Yeah, we actually have uh, we've we've tested two different uh, new techniques for estimating population size in sage grouse. One of them is called dual frame lex surveys. But our most recent paper that came out, it uses uh, what we call non-invasive genetic mark recapture. Um, what that means is we use the genetic signatures of the animals uh, to estimate, uh, to put that in the mark recapture analysis to estimate detectability and population size. But we, the, the new thing about this is that we derive uh, the genetic information from collecting their poop uh, out in the field. Uh, my, uh, the PhD student who did all the heavy lifting on this, Jessica Shivers, she spent two winters um, snowmobiling and surveying uh, with her crews, collecting poop in the winter. But then you can then pull genetic information from that uh, from those samples that you get, and actually use the. It's essentially to using the DNA to come up with a genetic fingerprint of different individuals and looking at how many you catch uh, and recapture on those samples over time. So you don't really need to even um, mark or handle any of the birds. You're just collecting their poop from in, from the environment and using that to estimate population size. Yeah, so not only are you being able to, to more accurately monitor the population size, but you're not having to physically capture any of these birds to actually look at their genetic makeup. It's it's fantastic all the way around. It, yeah, that's the, that's the non-invasive component of it. And, and it's been used with a lot of different species over the years. Um, we were, uh, this most recent paper is, it's really the, the first to show that this can be used successfully in a wild population and that sampling in the winter reduces the amount of degradation of the, of the genetic material of the DNA, uh, once it's left behind by the bird. Sure. And it allows you to be able to actually go and and find some of this rather than going and and trying to find their breeding ground in the spring. So sage, sage grouse, they breed in the springtime, and, and some of it's on private lands, and some of it's on inaccessible areas due to snow drifts, and, and maybe exactly. some people are, are counting some of the same males twice. So, you know, this right here, I'm sure you're going to be utilizing this in the future to potentially uh, influence hunting seasons and bag limits and all that kind of stuff as well, I imagine. Yeah, the um, you know, estimating population size and trend accurately is – it's really a fundamental part of what CPW, you know, Colorado Parks and Wildlife does um, because that population size and trend is the basis for all of our management decisions regarding harvest levels, uh, regarding the need for habitat treatments or for really small populations, even translocations or augmentations of that population. So it's, it's a, get, we're trying to get at a, a very fundamental piece of, of what state aid wildlife agencies do. Especially with these sage grouse that, you know, really are kind of a, a species that, that has been declining over the years. But with some of this uh, conservation effort by not only Colorado, but through Wyoming and Montana and all different western states, uh, I'm sure that all this is, you know, we're go- hopefully going in the right direction with these guys. A- absolutely. Yeah. And actually, we've been, we've been thrilled that uh, we've been able to work uh, cooperatively. I'm, I'm in the research group in Colorado Parks and Wildlife, but we work cooperatively with uh, Colorado State University uh, and the U.S. Geological Survey um, and with funding from a lot of our, our energy in, excuse me, energy industry partners 
um, particularly in this in this population that we've been working on. Oil and gas is a big deal, and and they're interested in making sure we can uh, conserve and manage uh, all the different wildlife species out there appropriately as oil and gas development also occurs. Sure, and this yeah. is including mule deer and and other species. Yeah, because not only is this sagebrush critical for these sage grouse, obviously, but other species like like pronghorn and and mule deer, especially, and various other bird species, all are relying on the same habitat. Absolutely, yeah. We've uh, sagebrush is. Uh, uh, I joke around that you know I'm I'm what you call an artemisiophile. I'm a, I'm one of the uh, people who loves sagebrush and and uh, and all the wildlife that use it. Absolutely. Well, it's it's fantastic that you're. You're doing this right here, and and uh, do you guys plan on potentially utilizing some of this same technique on some of these other populations, maybe a little bit stronger populations in Northwest Colorado or Middle Park or anything like that? Yeah, we we're uh, we've actually been thinking about using that, particularly for smaller populations. It's a very expensive and time-consuming technique. Um, and so we typically we're only going to use it in areas where we really need absolutely accurate estimates of population sure. size to you know to to make those decision uh, conservation and management decisions in our larger you know really healthy populations it's less critical that you have exact estimates of population size but it's the smaller isolated ones where where there's a lot of interest in that absolutely well it's, that's fantastic and if someone has any uh, additional interest in in researching any of this is there any uh, different sites that they can go look at uh to to potentially give them a little bit better understanding of a a sage grouse absolutely yeah we've got um all of the research that colorado parks and wildlife does all the published papers and things like that um if you go to the colorado parks and wildlife uh homepage um and you can look use the search bar and type in research uh, and it'll bring up bird research, so avian research, and then we have mammals research and aquatic research as well. So all the research that we do, uh, we try and get that information online uh, and available to the public uh, through our website, or you can get it directly through the, through the um, you know, you can do a Google Scholar search, and, and it's usually easy, easy to find that way. Oh, perfect. Brett, we certainly appreciate you guys doing all this stuff for Colorado wildlife species, and we appreciate you coming on and letting everyone know about it. Thanks so much. We appreciate everybody's interest. Absolutely, Brett. Once again, that was Brett Walker, who was or who is a researcher with Colorado Parks and Wildlife, and you're listening to Austin Parr hosting for Terry Wickstrom on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on Sports Radio 104.3 The Fan. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on Sports Radio 104.3 The Fan. My name's Austin Parr, and I'm with Discount Fishing Tackle in Denver, and I'm filling in for Terry this week while hopefully he's catching some fish up in Minnesota. Right now we're going to go right to the phones and talk with Brad Peterson of Brad Peterson Outdoors. Brad, how are you? I'm doing well, Austin. How are you? Doing excellent. So right now we've talked about some fishing, talked about a little sage grouse, even though that season's over. But, man, we're uh, duck season is upon us all of a sudden here, isn't it? It is. If you're up in the mountains, home, a lot of people are out uh, enjoying opening day today, and the northeast region opens up next weekend. It's it's an exciting time for duck hunters. Absolutely. So, Brad guides you both. You guide fishing and hunting, both, I believe. That's correct, right? Yep. Do waterfall hunting and then all sorts of warm water fishing. Absolutely. So, Brad's an expert. He lives up north in Colorado. And, and what are you seeing right now as far as some of the, this waterfowl? Are you seeing a lot of birds come in yet, or are we mostly dealing with local birds like usual? 
Right now, we're mainly dealing with local birds. Um, I was out this morning and drove around to a few little potholes to kind of see what the bird numbers look like. And it's still the the local birds, but I will say on a couple bodies of water, like Boyd, uh, last week the coots moved in, and usually they're one of the early migrating birds. So for between that and what I'm hearing up in Wyoming, the ponds in Wyoming are loaded. I think this cold front we're going to have come in end of the week is going to push some of our early migrators down. So those people hunting out on the northeast may get the advantage of not just the local birds, but some of your early migrating, maybe still some green-winged teal, some widgeons and gadwalls that have all come in and should make for a great opener. Yeah, I mean, looking at some of this forecast coming in, it looks like we're going to have a good push of northern air coming down and and hopefully getting some of these birds down and and having a season where maybe we can have a really good first opening split and, and not have that migration in that middle split for the northeast guys. Yeah, that's that's been the issue the last couple of years, last year in particular. What happened was is when the birds started moving down, not only did Canada and Montana and Wyoming, where most of our birds come from, all get the, a snowstorm. We got the same storm and had five or six inches of snow on the ground. Oh, yeah. And so a lot of our early birds just kept trucking all the way to Oklahoma and Texas. And we just never got the opportunity in the Northeast to really capitalize on those early birds. And then we stayed so warm in December and January. As you probably remember, whether you were a hunter or an ice fisherman, either way, along the front range, uh, it was unseasonably warm. And we just didn't get that late push of birds to really ever come down. Yeah, I I know. I, I'm a waterfowl hunter as well. And it was definitely a, a different kind of season. And, and hopefully we can get back to maybe a degree of normal for this year and, and get back to a good early season push and, and maybe a, a secondary late push as well. Yeah, I that's important. I know that a lot of the uh, the state wildlife areas out in the northeast that fill up with um, irrigation water have filled up. But one I do want to make a note of is Jackson State Wildlife Area, not the state park, but the state wildlife area, the ponds on the north. I was by there a couple weeks ago, yeah, they're and they're doing construction and are not planning on putting any water in those. Yeah. So if that's if that's a spot you normally hunt, you know, you need to look for a different option. You know, maybe head out to Brush Prairie Ponds or try to get a reservation at Andrick, uh, Red Lion, something like that. If you normally hunt one of those ponds opening day, there are four spots on the reservoir still open, but I think that's going to be real crowded. So oh, yeah. to avoid a headache, I'd kind of avoid that area. I, w- I would agree. And, and uh, you know, getting out and maybe driving a little bit further and, and maybe putting a little bit of scouting time in this next week could maybe pay some dividends for some folks. So before we shift over to fishing, I've been seeing you catch some amazing walleyes as of late. What are some of the strategies that you're using for opening day waterfowl? What, what kind of decoy strategies? What are you What are you normally doing out there to, to to have a better success than the average guy? Well, you said one of the most important things. If you got the time, it's windshield. It's uh, it's putting your time in the vehicle behind, you know, driving around looking. They're local birds, so they're used to certain spots. And if you find a spot, a pond or a little slough or a ditch that they're using, they're going to keep coming back there. They haven't been harassed yet. So if you've got that ability, that's that's one of the first things to do. And that from Pruitt out east, there were a lot of teal. So, you know, you might have the opportunity to, to get into some of those. But for decoy strategy, one of my things is if I've got enough decoys, I usually put a lot more hen decoys out than drakes. I agree. Because this time of year, the – 
the ducks aren't in full plumage. There are a lot more brown ducks out there just that haven't been plumed out. So I use a lot more of the brown of the hens. And then I also, if you've got teal decoys, widgeon decoys, any of the littler, uh, smaller puddle ducks, I mix those in as well. I have a real diverse size spread with a more heavy leaning towards hen decoys. I think that that just looks a little more natural. And don't be afraid if you're worried about visibility, throw in a couple Canada goose decoys. Even though goose season is only open in the northeast area, uh, which is west of Highway 85, you look at the regulations, it kind of goes through where that is and then sure. up in the mountains. But those are extremely visible, but there's a lot of resident geese around. So it looks natural to the decoy. ducks. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah I, and so those are the two things I would say to really, you know, put some time, try and find the location the birds are using if you can't, uh, or in addition, you know, use a little bit more hens in your decoy spread, kind of use browns and uh, mix up the size. Sure, yeah, we only have a few minutes left right here, but I want to shift over to fishing for just a second. Um, man, big 31-inch walleye you caught the other day. Uh, what are you doing up north, and why don't you give a quick report on, on some of those lakes up there? Um, up north, it's real similar to what you're seeing down there. Uh, water temperatures are mid-60s. They, they've been holding right around 68 till about a week ago, and now they've started dropping into that, you know, 65 or even a little lower range. So you're starting to get more of your true fall patterns going. The bait bites just dying off on the walleyes. Um, you're starting to be able to catch them using your jigging wraps and pulling crankbaits. Uh, usually if I'm doing that, if I don't know where the fish are, I'm either using my electronics or I'm trolling, uh, to try and locate fish. Sure. Once I do, if there's a good concentration, then I'm going to the, the reaction bites on the jigging wraps, um, snap wraps, you know, those type baits. And then the other thing that's really starting to turn on is the largemouth bass up here have been really good. They're, they're in they're really getting concentrated where there's good vegetation remaining in the shallow water. Most of our lakes have stopped dropping, so the fish don't feel the pressure to move out of the shallows. They're still hanging in that four- to six-foot range, and if you can find any green vegetation, there's two to three, maybe even four good largemouth in there. Throw in chatterbaits or jerkbaits or, you know, squarebill crankbaits, any of those baits, horizontal moving baits, You'll go pick them up in some real nice ones, you know, up to 17, 18 inches right now. Oh, yeah. It's well, a great time to go out and catch largemouth. And the other thing is, I think the other day I saw the hatchery truck drop some stockers in Boyd. They're starting to do their fall stocking again. So those people looking to go out and catch rainbows, you know, pay attention. St. Brain's going to be getting some, you know, Boyd. Um, a lot of those lakes and ponds in the area will start getting some of the stocker trout, which will provide the shore anglers you know, a little more opportunity and a little more action going on. I'm sure Jackson um, oh, yeah. will be getting some trout, and the, the wiper bite on Jackson has just been phenomenal. Been, yeah, I've been hearing uh, maybe that. Not, maybe not a ton of, of keepers, but 60 fish is not uncommon trolling up there for wipers in that 13 to 14 and a half inch range. Heck, yeah. Well, Brad, we're running out of time right here. Um, some great bites that you've, you've gone through. If somebody wants to, to get a hold of you and take advantage of some of this with you, uh, what's the best way for them to do that? Um, they can look me up at uh, Brad Peterson Outdoors on Facebook or give me a call at 
829-3998. Brad, thanks so much for coming on. Have a good one. You as well. So that was Brad Peterson with Brad Peterson Outdoors. And when we come back, uh, we're going to be talking with Nate Zelensky. We're going to go through some various fall fishing opportunities. There are all kinds of great opportunities. Brad was just talking about some there. I was talking about some on the Front Range. Maybe we'll shift into South Park with Nate. But stay tuned, and we're going to find out. Uh, You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on Sports Radio 104.3 The Fan.